Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Gracious Heavenly Father, by your grace, by your mercy, we're here and we're grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to gather, to serve, to worship you in song, and also to study your word, God, to see the power of resurrection, to see, Christ, what you have done on our behalf, Lord. I pray right now you'd help me, help all of us to set our distractions aside, just to focus on your word and the power of your word. May it mold and shape our hearts, God. I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for these people, Lord. We've gathered here to honor and to glorify your name and to draw closer to you. We pray that through the power of your spirit and the presence of your word that we would come to know you more in this hour. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as a reminder, we kind of started mentioning this when we studied the book of John um, a few months ago, but John tells us why he writes the Gospel of John. There were already the other three Gospels around. John's Gospel came quite a bit later, and he writes to, it tells us toward the end of the book, chapter 20 or 21, I can't remember exactly, but it says that John is writing these accounts that we may believe. And so what he is doing is, is he's, he's handpicking these miracles of Jesus, these statements of Jesus, all to make one point, and that's the, that the reader, you and I, would find a deeper knowledge of God, and, and through that, knowledge isn't the end point in Christianity, find a deeper love for God. That's the end point in Christianity, is that we would love our God more. And that's why John is writing that we might believe And when we get into chapter 12 next week, that begins the last week of Jesus' life. And from John chapter 12 on, it's it's one week of Jesus' life. And so what we're looking at today, a story probably most of you are familiar with, Lazarus being raised from the dead, is really the last miracle that... John presents other than the resurrection. The last miracle Jesus performs before the resurrection, in the book of John anyway. And so I think it's, it's important that, well, I think he put it here for a reason. It's, it's a powerful miracle what Jesus does. So let's take a look at it. John chapter 11, verse 1. You with me? It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. All right, so let's pause there for a second, just so we understand. We're not talking about the retail store here. This is a person, Lazarus, right? He's, he's, he's the brother is explained here, of Mary and Martha. And we, if you've read through the Gospel accounts, you're familiar with this family. This is a family that Jesus interacted with often, a family that Jesus loved very much, Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus. 
They, they were uh, a well-known family and a well-respected family, uh, but Jesus had a, a special relationship with them. It tells us here, John tells us here, Mary is the one that wiped Jesus' feet after he, she anointed them with the fragrant oil. Think to the other gospel accounts. Remember the story where Mary comes forth with a very expensive alabaster jar, and she breaks that in, in preparation for his burial. She pours it on his feet, and she, with her tears and with her hair, wipes his, his feet in, 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 as an anointing process. That's this Mary. Mary and Martha, the ones who, who Martha was always busy doing things. And Mary was the one that rested at Jesus' feet. And there's the compare and contrast between the two personality types there. And, and so that's this family. And of course, now Lazarus, their brother as well. It says in verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, I love that. I love that they, they send to Jesus, ho- hoping that he will do something, interact, inter- um, intercede on their behalf. And the way that they approach Jesus, they send somebody to him to let him know that Lazarus is sick. But he doesn't just say, Lazarus is sick. And it, it, it's the one, how does she, the person say, um, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Certainly, Lazarus loved Jesus, but Jesus also loves Lazarus. And that's the way that this person informs him, informs Jesus that he is sick. We come to Jesus because he loves us. We're, we're allowed into the presence of a holy and mighty God because he loves us. He gets that love from the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Father loves. Jesus loves. And I like that as they approach Jesus, they remind him. Of course, Jesus already knew. But hey, this is the one you love. Will you intercede? Will you do something on his behalf? Verse 4 says, Then Jesus heard... Then, or when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He, he, he receives word from the Lord, Jesus does. He, he, he understands what the plan is of this situation. And what has been planned is, is God is, is going to do a great work through this, a great work that the Son of God, that for the glory of God, and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This entire thing is is for God's glory. And what I want us to hear just in this onset of this chapter is sometimes God will use sickness for His glory. That's exactly what is happening here. This sickness will not end into death, but for the glory of God. Sometimes we experience trials. Sometimes we experience hardship. Sometimes we experience sickness that God might receive more glory. Blessed be the name of the Lord, we just sang. In the, in the mountaintop experience, in the valley low experience. We read Psalm 23 a couple weeks ago. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for thou art with me. Jesus is with us in every experience, and will use all experiences for his glory. This will not end unto death. It says in verse 5, 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he's John now confirming what was said in, in verse 3. John, uh, Jesus did love them. I, I like that John says John loved Martha and her sister, that being Mary, and, and Lazarus. We have to understand, I think you, you guys probably do, in the gospel accounts, as Jesus walks this earth, there are about four different Marys that he interacts with, okay? Just so we can get them all straight. Um, obviously his mother, this Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, we have Mary Magdalene, uh, and then uh, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, who is at the cross. And so those are the four different Marys that Jesus interacts with in the Gospels. But John lets us know he loves Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I like that because very often, especially as you look at the story uh, of Mary resting at the feet of Jesus and Martha busy doing things, we in our mind think, well, Martha was doing the wrong thing. Where we, we, we spend time putting Martha down for being busy about her business while Mary was the blessed one sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we, we portray that story at times. But I like what it says here. No, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. John makes a point. Jesus loves them both. And, and different personalities react in different ways. And also Lazarus. So verse 6, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. God has a plan, and, and, and this plan involves Jesus hanging out for a couple more days. Where was he? Well, if you go back to the end of chapter 10, he had gone beyond the Jordan River to the place where John the Baptist was baptizing, and he was hanging out there. He had gotten away from Jerusalem. If you look at and do the, the math, he's about 20 miles from where uh, from Bethany, where Lazarus was. On a good day, in those days, as you traveled with an entourage, you might be able to travel about 10 miles in one day. So, 20 miles, if they're 20 miles apart, that's two days travel, plus he rests two days, plus we don't know how many days it took for the messenger to get to Jesus after Lazarus had been sick. So this, we're talking, by the time Jesus gets to where Lazarus was, somewhere between five and six days, let's say. Okay, just trying to give you about the timeline. Um, and it, it, Jesus stays where he is for two days. He actually delays. Why? Because that was God's plan. Understand this, God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. He doesn't delay. Now, to us, it may seem like he's delaying. <laughs> um, Lord, I'm in a bind here. Lord, my brother Lazarus is sick, and you're sticking around for two days, and we're going to see Mary and Martha both respond to Jesus with that question. God is never late. God's delay, we perceive it as a delay, but the intent and the purpose of that quote-unquote delay is always that God would receive a greater glory. God would receive a greater glory. Verse 7. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go. Then after he, uh, sorry, one more time. Then after this, he said to, his, to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, Lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? 
Good question by the disciples. Hey, Jesus, do you remember when you left there? It was because they were holding stones ready to stone you, and now you want to go back? Um, wouldn't wisdom say we stay away from the people that want to kill us with stones? I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. And, and they're trying to remind the, king, the Son of God, uh, <laughs> remember Jesus? Rocks, bad thing, not good. Do we, are you sure you want to, is that what you want to do? Yeah, Jesus says that's what we're going to do. He says in verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. What he's saying is, hey, my time's not yet up. We've, we've said this several times as we've looked at the Jewish leaders waiting to stone Jesus, and he walks away. His days are numbered perfectly, as are ours. We all have a set number of days. And he knows that until that day comes, he's safe. He's safe because his God, God the Father, will protect him. And he's saying, you know what? My time's not up. There's still daylight. There's still work to be done. The saying is, make hay while the sun is shining, right? That's what what he's about. He's like, I still have work to do. And this work that I'm about to do is, is that I might and that the Father might receive greater glory. These things he said. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. (laughs) You've read the story. You know what Jesus is talking about when he says he sleeps here. Lazarus has died. Lazarus has died. And and they're like, well, if he's sleeping, sleeping's good for when you're sick. I like to take naps when I'm sick. That's a good thing. You rest. My mom just uh, went through a pretty brutal battle with flu or something, and and my dad was saying that she slept 20 hours a day, you know, and it's just, that's what your body needs to do. Jesus, the, the disciples, remember, remember, sheep are simple. <laughs> the disciples are like, hey, he's sleeping. That's a good thing. He'll get better. And what Jesus is doing here is introducing a new concept to you and I, um, to his disciples, that for those that are in Christ, It's not the end. Death isn't the final nail. Death isn't the, the final thing. It's, no, they, we look at it as sleeping. They, 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 they're passing from this life to the next. We spent two weeks studying 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection and, and, the, and the importance of that doctrine on Wednesday nights. He's sleeping. That's what he said of the little girl when he raised her up as well. She, she's merely sleeping. And what did the people do? They laughed at him. This concept was new, and Jesus is introducing it. Uh, if he's sleeping, he'll get well. 13. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. They thought he was taking a nap. And so Jesus simplifies here. He says, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> oh, that's what you meant. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go up to him. The work that Jesus needed to do included Lazarus dying. I'm glad I'm not there. And I love that Jesus willingly explains 
He, he, he explains it again and again. Uh, Jesus is forever long-suffering with simple sheep like me. <laughs> and, and, and he's always willing to explain it. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I, sometimes I wish as we study the word of God that you could hear the inflection in people's voices. Because I'm not sure if what Thomas is saying is bold well, let us go. I don't care if we die. Even if we die, I'm going to go stand with Jesus. Let us go, and we will die with him, and we're ready to fight this battle. Or, man, this sucks. I, I, let us go that we might die also. <laughs> Let's just end this all. Thomas was known as the doubter. I'm guessing it's more like that. Hey, this is, this is kind of... Uh, things aren't going well. This isn't, Jesus, you're not the person I thought you were going to be. You haven't raised us to power. Let's just go die. Just get it over with. That's, I'm guessing that's what it was. But it could be Thomas, filled with faith, is, is saying, rallying the troops, let us go. We will, even, even if we, we will stand on this hill, we will fight this battle. Let us go, even if it cost us our lives. Interesting, as I was studying, I hadn't seen this before. Thomas is called the twin, and very uh, Didymus was his name, and, and which means twin. So they assume, most assumed, and I have always assumed that Thomas had a twin, that we don't know the, the, that person's name. But one commentator I was reading suggested that Thomas looked very much like Jesus, and so that he may have been mistaken as a twin of Jesus. I was like, could be. I don't know. We'll find out. But... Uh, it's just something to, something to note there. So I don't know if he's bold in this moment or disgruntled. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. And so as you do your math there, how is it that he stayed two days, but he's been in the grave two day, or four days? It, it took two days to travel. That's four days, plus however long it took the messenger. Five or six days now since... The, the messenger left to tell Jesus, and that's how he has been in the grave four days. Jesus, I think, intentionally stayed two days because there was a, a belief in those days that after somebody passed away, after somebody died, that their spirit stayed near the body for three days and then departed after the third day and went as a, a false belief, but that was a common belief in those days that the spirit stayed near the body. And so Jesus intentionally waits four days to prove to those people that believe that, that he has the power to resurrect. We know that's not true. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when we leave this life and we study that again in first Corinthians 15, that we go from here to there. We, we sow this corruptible body, we reap the incorruptible body. It says, verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And so Jesus is drawing nearer to Jerusalem, but he's not going to enter into Jerusalem until he comes in on the donkey. He's close, but he's not there. 19, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brothers. There's a, a large group now gathering around the two sisters to comfort them. That tells me that they were, well, they were well respected in the community. 
that Mary and Martha, they were, they, they were looked up to. And that's a, a great way for us Christians to act and to behave. Timothy would tell those in leadership that we are to be above reproach, both inside the church and outside the church, that we are to be respected in our community. As Christ followers, we should strive for that, that the people we work with and the people we live with and the people we hang out with, Christian or not Christian, would, would respect us. And so we, we have to be above reproach. Mary and Martha were that. We can see that because a large group had gathered to comfort them. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now that would be, Martha was actually at this point breaking the tradition at the time when they heard that Jesus was coming, perhaps saw that he was coming. Martha runs out to meet him. Mary chills and and sits back. That would be the standard in those days. You would wait until a teacher would call you and then you would come. But Martha's just so overcome with grief or, or so not concerned about the tradition at the moment that she runs out to meet him. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you can see in her heart pain and and sorrow, the the loss of her brother. And and again, I wonder what the tone was of this statement. What was was the the inflection that she was making? This could be a, a great statement of faith to say, had you been here, Jesus, I know my brother would not have died. You have that power. But it also could be a slight rebuke. Jesus, had you shown up on time, this wouldn't have happened. And she could be upset with him in this moment. Hard to say for sure. I think the next verse kind of gives us a clue as to maybe what the inflection was of verse 21. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And so I think it's more, this is a statement of faith. Had you been here, I know this wouldn't have happened because her next statement is, even now, God, you're able, Jesus. Whatever you ask of the Father, He's going to give you. You have that kind of relationship. She recognizes that. And I think it's a statement of faith. So Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I love that God coordinates our studies. Uh, he did this when, when Dave was here and, and I was you know, just the, the worship leader leading music. He and I would never communicate about what his sermon was going to be about. And I would just pick the songs. And very often the Spirit would do a work where the songs perfectly fit the, the message. And it's just time and again we'd look at each other after Sunday and go, well, he did it again. He did it again. And that's what we see here. Um, as, as Martha now brings up the resurrection, we've been talking about the resurrection on Wednesday nights. Um, very important doctrine. Without the doctrine of the resurrection, we have no Christianity. Christianity is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and that we too, in Christ, will rise also. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. Martha explaining her beliefs at the last day. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He's saying to Martha, fix your eyes on me, Martha. 
Look at me. I am the resurrection. I'm the one that's going to do this. I'm the one that's going to overcome sin and death. In me is victory. In Christ, is, there is the, the, the ability to say, where is your sting, death? Where is your victory, grave? It's in the power of the resurrection. The resurrection power is inside of Christ. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I love that. Jesus makes a bold statement. Only the Son of God could make this statement. Imagine you and I saying, I'm the resurrection. If you believe in me, you'll never... That would seem absolutely ridiculous, wouldn't it? But Jesus, the Son of God, can make that statement because it's true. And, and, And we rest in that. Whoever lives and believes in me shall not die. Do you believe this? He brings Martha to a point where she has to say yes or no. There is no middle ground here. He who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Oh, well, sort of. What do you mean sort of? That's kind of like being sort of pregnant. You, you can't. You're either pregnant or you're not. You either believe in the resurrection or you don't. There is no middle ground. Do you believe this, Martha? I ask you, church, do we believe this today? Do we believe in the doctrine of the resurrection that death is not the end of the road for you and I? It's just a bend in the road. We, we shed this corruptible body and we, and, we re, and we reap the incorruptible body. Do you believe in the resurrection? There is no middle ground. She said to him, her answer, verse 27, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. What a statement of faith. One that you and I should have on our lips ready at all times. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Paul says in Romans. That's what Martha says here. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. So Jesus wants to speak with Martha. He also wants to speak with Mary. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. So Mary waits until she's called. Martha ran out to greet him. Mary waits until she's called. Again, showing the difference between these two sisters. Verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, oh, she's going to the tomb to weep there. This is a time of mourning. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we see Mary not running to the grave, but running to her Savior, to Jesus. She falls down at his feet and says the exact same thing that Martha says. Had you been here, Lazarus would still be around. A statement of faith to say, we believe, Jesus, that you are able to heal the sick. We believe that you are able. And what I want us to see there is Mary and Martha Though they are sisters, they're very different, right? I think the scriptures are clear uh, on on portraying that. Martha rushed out. Mary waited. Martha was busy doing things. Mary rested at the feet of Jesus. Two very different types of personalities. Jesus plainly loves them both. He, He expressed that earlier in the scripture today. But also that even though you and I are different, even though that we are different from others, very often 
though different personalities, we have the same questions. We have the same concerns. We have the same wonderings in our lives. Even though we have very different personalities and, and, and we come from different backgrounds, the human nature, the human condition in, on many levels is the same, and we have the very same questions. We see that in Mary and Martha. Had you not been here, or had you been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Let's let's take care of this. Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, many of you guys know that verse, right? (laughs) Because as you were memorizing scriptures, you said, hey, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? (laughs) <laughs> because that's what you wanted to memorize, or that's what I wanted to memorize. Well, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. I got it. <laughs> the question is, why? Why did Jesus weep at this point? Was he saddened that Lazarus was dead, and he saw Mary crying, he saw the Jews with them crying, and, and he just joined in their sad song, and, and, and oh, Lazarus is dead, oh, we're going to miss Lazarus. No. He knew what he was about to do. (laughs) He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to take place, that God would receive this greater glory. So he's not upset about that. He's not saddened by that. More, I think, perhaps as he's brought to the grave of this man, he's reminded again, I don't think that Jesus would ever forget this, but in the very forefront of the picture is this idea that there is an effect to sin. That that when Adam took of the fruit, sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, so too did death. And death is the effect of sin in our lives. And he looks at the grave of Lazarus and he sees perhaps the, the, the whole of humanity and the grief that sin has caused. And that causes him to weep. He knows that a day is coming, not far from now where he is, that he will pay for the sins of the world. That he is going to die on our behalf. So perhaps that's what causes Jesus to weep. They misunderstand, though. Verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Yes, we know Jesus loved him, but that's not why necessarily he was weeping. He wasn't mourning. And then some of, the, some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? They think back to the miracles that Jesus has performed, healing a man of blindness, a man blind or born blind, something that had not been done in the history of the world. This had not happened. And, and Jesus performed that wonderful miracle. Couldn't he have healed this man that he would not have died? What's the answer to that question? Yes, Jesus could have healed him. Jesus didn't have to even go. He could heal him from a distance. We saw that with the centurion and his son, uh, his son or daughter. I can't remember now. But he, he didn't go. Go. He tells the centurion, go. Your faith has made, made him well. And, and, and he's able to heal. He doesn't have to be present to do so. He certainly could have. Why didn't he? Because that wouldn't have brought Jesus, that wouldn't have brought the Son of God, that wouldn't have brought the Father the greatest glory. 
death needed to occur that God would receive an even greater glory. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, very similar to the tomb that he would be placed in. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Now, I'm not huge on the King James translation, but right there, it's pretty darn cool. (laughs) I love it. Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) That's what it says in the King James. What's, he, what's Martha doing here? I think she's backpedaling a little bit. If we look at it, she says, don't open that. Don't bother with that. Don't do anything. He, he's been in there four days. It's going to stink. Just let's leave it alone. Let's mourn and let's move on. Where's the faith that she had when she came to him? Even, even now, if you ask the Father, the Father will answer you. Remember, she said that just a short time ago. Where's that faith? Lord, Lord, no, no, don't open it. Don't bother. It's too late. The one who is able to heal is also able to raise from the dead. And very often, before we condemn Martha for for backing, backpedaling, I think you and I have been there as well. And often when the rubber meets the road, our faith diminishes. Our faith can fail. When it, when it comes time to the, where, where Jesus is ready to perform the miracle, oh, Lord, you know what? He stinks. Let's, let's, just, let's just go cry, and we'll move on. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Martha, don't give up here. And that's Jesus' heart as he loves Martha, as he cares for her, as he is willing to explain to the disciples, Hey, Don't give up yet, Martha. Didn't I tell you, if you would believe that you would see the glory of God, hold on here, this is going to turn out just fine. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that I may believe that you sent me. (laughs) that's a great prayer of Jesus. And I don't know, for those of us that have been parents, you've probably prayed a prayer similar to that. It's called an instructional prayer, right? Jesus prays to the Father. He says, hey, um, I know that, or or, what does he say? Thank you that you heard me, but I know that you always hear me. I said this so that the people here standing here know that you hear me. We do that with our kids as we're praying. I, I do that with my kids as I'm praying over them when we go to bed. Thank you that Reese knows how to be a good boy. Just help him to remember that. And help him to remember to clear the table. And help him, Lord. You know, and I'm not, yes, I'm praying, but I, at the same time, I'm instructing Reese. <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing here. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Had to pick one of the four, so you got picked up. But, uh, you know, that, we do that as, as parents. We, we instructionally pray. <laughs> yes, Lord, I know that you hear me, but I said it so that everybody around me would know that you hear me. <laughs> that they may believe that you sent me. And that is the hope of this miracle. 43. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine that moment? Oh, oh, I'd love to see that. 
Just the power in his voice. And one of the commentators said it made a lot of sense that he had to say Lazarus because if he had simply said, come forth, every grave would have opened. And everybody would have come forth. He says specifically, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus and his power can overcome more than just sickness. It can overcome death. Verse 44, And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. I like that. He, he does come forth. Lazarus does come out of the grave. He's still got the grave clothes on. He's going to need him again. He's, this isn't the last time he'll visit the grave. Lazarus will ultimately shed that body. I was talking with Deb this morning as we were, after we had been praying. I wonder how, think of it from Lazarus' perspective. As he goes from this life to the next, as he passes in four days in paradise, four days with the Father, and Jesus calls him forth. What are you doing, Jesus? <laughs> why, why do I need to be back here? Because a greater work needs to be accomplished. But, but he comes forth from the grave. He's got the grave clothes still on. And, and he said, Jesus commands, loose him. Take the grave clothes off. Sin is defeated. Let him go. Jesus provides the salvation. He offers the resurrection. He brings Lazarus forth from the dead. But then he allows others to partake. He, he allows others, hey, you go clean him up, take care of him, take the grave clothes off him, get him dressed again, and get that stink off of him, <laughs> let's get him a bath. And, and, and he does that with us too. And that's the joy of being part of a church, and that's the joy of, of, of serving as the bride of Christ. Jesus performs the resurrection. Any time anybody gives their lives to the Lord, it's the work of the Lord to do that. But then he lets you and I come alongside those people and take off their grave clothes and clean them up and instruct them in the ways of the Lord, disciple them, grow them. God allows us to be a part of the resurrection process. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. There it is. Why did Lazarus have to get sick? Why did Lazarus have to die? Because God was going to receive a greater glory. How does God receive a greater glory? More people come to him. More people lift up their voice and praise to him. And we see the effect. We see the result in that verse 46 or 45. Jesus, uh, the, they, the Jews who had come to Mary believed in him. More glory, more glory. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told the things Jesus did. Not all that were there believed. <laughs> some went and tattletailed. Oh, these people. <laughs> did you see what Jesus did? He brought some. Let me tell you, you weren't there. He raised somebody from the dead. It doesn't say it was on the Sabbath. Isn't that okay? <laughs> Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? They're vexed at this point. What is going to happen? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. 
We're going to lose what we have if we don't do anything. They're pressed to a point. They believe that if we don't do anything, we're going to lose everything we got. The Romans are going to come in and they're going to wipe us out if Jesus continues to do these works. We have to do something. What's interesting is they do something. They crucify the Son of God. And the thing that they were afraid of even though they did something, still happens. Jerusalem falls. 70 AD. The Romans do come in. The Romans do conquer. They wipe them out. They remove all power that they have. Exactly what they were trying to avoid does happen, even though they, quote-unquote, take things into their own hands. Verse 49, And one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and and not that the whole nation should perish. So they come and they, 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 the tattletales come. This is what happened. They say, what are we going to do? We, we need to do something. If we don't do something, the Romans are going to come in and squash us. Caiaphas, being the high priest, steps up and he says this. You don't know anything at all, uh, nor do you consider that it expedient for one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas is just saying, all we got to do is kill him. if If we just take care of one guy, if we just kill this guy off, then all we have to do, get rid of him, the nation will be fine. Now, that's not the case at all. That's what Caiaphas meant by saying that. But what we're going to find out is that's actually a prophecy. Caiaphas is being used of God to say one man needs to die for the people, that they might be saved, that the whole nation should not perish, and more than the whole nation, the whole world. God can use anybody to speak. Read the Old Testament. He used a donkey to get a hold of somebody, to get somebody's attention. He can even use Caiaphas, who is one of the worst high priests of the day, or, uh, of, the, you know, of the line. He was abusive. He was power corrupted. And even yet he speaks this. So what, what Caiaphas meant, let's get rid of Jesus, let's kill him off, and we'll be okay. What God meant when he used Caiaphas to say that, verse 51 Now this he did not say of his own authority, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. One flock, one shepherd, right? Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they may seize him. That ends our chapter for the day, but just look at it. They're 
plotting and they're planning. Jesus steps away. He heads to Ephraim for a time because once again, it's not yet his time. He will ride in triumphantly on, on Palm Sunday. Uh, you know, they will ride in on a donkey just exactly the way that it had been prophesied in the book of Daniel. The timing is perfect. But the people are wondering. They, they, they estimated that two and a half million people were flooding into the small town for the Passover. And they're all wondering, they're all curious, is Jesus going to show? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's going to go down. It's going to be huge. It's going to happen. He's going to show up. But we're going to start that starting next week. And then from chapter 12 to the end of the book, it's one week. John really slows things down. What do we need to see here? What do we need to take from here? Jesus has the power of resurrection. And like Jesus asked Martha, I ask you, do you believe that? He resurrects from death to life. He does that in our hearts at salvation. We are dead in our sins. Do we understand that? We are dead in our sins. Jesus, through his blood, washes our sin away and resurrects us, gives us salvation, gives us redemption, gives us justification, gives us glorification. Now there's a day coming when we will sow this perishable seed and reap the imperishable. We will get rid of these corrupted bodies and we'll take on the incorruptible bodies. That day is coming, that moment of glorification, but it's already been paid for in the resurrection of Jesus. I hope that we've heard, I believe that many of us have, the, the, the call to come forth from death, to be resurrected into life. If not, He's calling today. Today's the day of salvation. Place your faith in Him. The stone has been rolled away. Death is swallowed up in victory. The victory of Christ. And we rest in Him. Amen? Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Without you, Jesus, we have no hope. With you, Lord, we have the hope of the resurrection. And as we have seen that you have the power over death and you have the power over sin, in calling Lazarus forth from the grave, we see it even greater in that, Jesus, you overcame sin and death and you resurrected from the grave. And in that, we have hope. We have the promise of eternity. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for redeeming us from sin. May we live to bring you much glory. May we join in the voices that over the years have said that they believe in you. May we honor you with our words. May we glorify you with our actions. May even our thoughts be of you. Lord, we want to make much of you. We want you to be honored and to glorify that people may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Fill us with your spirit now. Guide us and direct us through this week. We love you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.